Okay, these are getting out of hand. I like them. You need to tell your people, settle no, down. No, 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 we're going to yeah. get crazier. This is really getting crazy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish they could have seen how you came on tonight. That was really fun. Everybody missed it. <laughs> Makes you wonder which number I am. Huh? <laughs> it does. Yeah. Skipping on stage is awesome. <laughs> we had to uh, lock up our 51. I know that's going to make a lot of people happy. That guy's something wrong with him. <laughs> we <coughs> locked him in his little place. He won't be bothering us anymore. Might make some people sad. Who? Oh. <laughs> no. I kind of like him. <laughs> I do. Delete that part. <laughs> okay. So guess what we did yesterday? We had... Go ahead, tell us. <laughs> Where's my script? I'm, I'm guessing. What did you do? <laughs> let, me, let, let me guess. What did you do yesterday? <laughs> so Tima Sellas had a great celebration outing, didn't we? It was really a lot of fun. We had a we did. nice crowd there. <laughs> Tima Sellas gets bigger every year. Big get and together. Some of the greatest people that all have one thing in common. They really, really care about the students and the parents and even the teachers. It's exciting. I hear yeah. we have video. You hear what? I heard somebody took video of it yesterday. You heard somebody. Hmm. Should we see it? <laughs> Let's watch it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> These are some of the younger members of our team. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and we have families too. Hey, that was it. What do you think? It was fun. We, a lot of you were there. Most of you, it was, it was really fun, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And we were <laughs> I now seize control of this broadcast. Because <laughs> everybody forgot me. I have a very important science announcement. I have a wonderful new invention. I invented the chicken. <laughs> here it is. Oh. This is my chicken. It says right here. Hug. Hug. Hug me. So I'm going to hug him. Oh, he likes that. Yesterday was the 4th of July, and they had a big celebration out here. And I was trapped in this little area, 51, and I could see the program right out there. <laughs> and on the program, <laughs> it was something that they won't show you. But my Science 51 Lives is better than theirs because I show you the good stuff. <laughs> Check out this video on the program.
No comment. <laughs> it was fine? No comment. <laughs> so, I was on the program. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> what about you guys? Yeah, well, please delete that. <laughs> it's all over the internet. Yeah, things are out of control. But we did have a wonderful time, and it was... It was really wonderful to remember what a great country we have with a great heritage. Yeah. Something for which I'm very grateful. But we're here today to talk about science. Okay. So science it is. And I've got science right here. This is a, an amazing speaker from Paris. And this company has developed a, a high quality speaker for people that really like listen to good music. But they did something very interesting. Uh, when you make a speaker, the idea of a speaker is to take electricity and transform it into sound we can hear. And if you really want super high fidel fidelity sound, remember you have to have something that vibrates and makes the air, mm -hmm. have air shock waves go out, which we call sound. Some of those really high frequencies has to vibrate so fast that if the mass of what you're trying to move to make the shock wave is big, it can't move fast enough for the high frequencies. So that's why someone invented a tweeter. Tweeter is a little teeny thing that vibrates really fast and makes the high frequencies. And then a good speaker has a mid-range generator, and then finally it has the low frequencies, which we usually call woofers. Sometimes the woofers are in a different box. You can put them anywhere in the room because the low frequency sounds, boom, it fills the whole room and you can't even tell which direction it's coming from. The high frequency sound, on the other hand, is very directional. It only goes right where you point it. So quite often, like for a television, they'll have a speaker bar that goes under the TV and then somewhere in the room you set the woofer box for the low frequencies. And wherever you put it, it sounds good. There's a lot of things about audio that are really fascinating and really interesting to me. In fact, early in my uh, experience, I became extremely interested in audio, in sound. First of all, in playing it, but then later in recording it. And as a college student, I decided, you know, this is so interesting, and I love music, so I decided to set up a recording studio, a music recording studio. Yeah. Can you believe it? <laughs> and my little outfit was called Billings Specialties. That's a neat that was my name. very, very <laughs> first venture. Yeah. And uh, I think I have a picture showing me mm -hmm. and a couple of my compatriots that started this recording business. Mm -hmm. And there we are in our studio. So if you look, that's me in the middle. Is that you in the middle? Yeah, that's me right in the middle. And if you look in front of me, there is a Ampex four-track recorder. It had a half-inch tape. It was a professional recorder, which we bought to be able to record this music. Now, in a recording studio, you need to have a microphone, and you need to have really good microphones if you're going to be professional. And there are lots of different kinds. There's dynamic, and there's condenser, and if you have a condenser microphone, 
it means you have to supply power to the mic. It has to be turned, hooked into voltage to work, and you know, you have to learn about all of that. But the microphone comes into a box or a console, which we call the mixer. And so you can set the volume for different instruments or vocalists or so forth. And when I started my studio, I had a lot of enthusiasm, but not a lot of money. <laughs> and I needed a good console, but good consoles were way out of my price range. The Ampex report, recorder that you saw in the photo was one of two that I got in an auction down in Los Angeles. Went down there, I got them really good price. Got those, but I didn't have anything to hook them up to. I got a few microphones, but I had nothing to hook them up to. So I needed a mixer. And there were sure a lot of nice ones, but they were like a hundred times out of my price range, especially after buying the recorders. It doesn't do any good to have a recorder if you don't have any place to you know, record. So I got a little studio and fixed it all up. And then for the console, I did the only thing I could do. I built my own. <laughs> and it was really quite an interesting experience for me, and I learned an awful lot. When a microphone captures sound, the vibrations of the sound waves going through the air come in and make something inside the microphone vibrate. Sometimes it's a little thing called a diaphragm. And when it vibrates, it's hooked up to a crystal or a coil or something so that it generates a little micro signal of electricity. Very, very weak little signal. And then you run it over a mic cable to the mixer. Well, the signal from a microphone is so weak that it's very sensitive to noise. Like, whenever you're around an AC power cable inside your building, like where you have an electrical outlet or lights, the 60 cycle makes a noise if you let that get into your audio system. And it's, it's a real beautiful noise. It's <laughs> 60 cycle hum, it's awful. And so you, you really need to eliminate it. And since the microphone signal is so weak, even a small amount of interference from 60 cycle hum or from a radio station or from an elevator starting and stopping will get in and get on your recording. So what they do, and it's, it's amazingly clever, is in a microphone, they have not one signal wire with a ground, but they have two signal wires with a ground. And they work in what's called a differential mode, so that when you hear a sound and you make a noise, they're designed so that the voltage on one wire goes up exactly when the voltage on the other wire goes down. So it makes the voltage between the two wires twice as great. And that goes down the wire, and it may be they both pick up noise. If they pick up noise, say from a 60 cycle interference hum, that hum goes on both wires, and it's the same on both wires because they're right together. When you get to the amplifier and you amplify everything, you put the input of the two wires, and they're differential. So you have a differential input with the, not between them and ground, because that's where the noise is, but in between. And that differential signal just kills the noise. 
It's beautiful. And you knew all this. I learned that, you know, when I was when I was doing this recording. Oh. Later on in my career, when I got into developing wideband networking, which was a very big pioneering effort that led to gigabit ethernet, I used that same technique of differential signals for my system. And without it, it wouldn't have worked, right? So when I got ready to build this console, I designed a circuit board, and I started ordering transistor components to amplify it. But there's a thing in these mixers that was and still is very important. It's not as important today as it was then, and that was signal-to-noise ratio. So whenever you have a signal coming into a mixer, that would be the music or the talking you're trying to record, but then you'd have the noise from interference and everything. And so you want to have what you're recording really loud, and you want the noise really, really low. So you get signal-to-noise ratio. Now here's the problem back in the day. Um, nobody was doing digital music. We didn't have the technology to do it. So we were doing analog music. And we would record, usually on a, on a tape, a tape with a magnetic coating that would capture the signal and how strong it was. And so these analog signals would be stored and then when we wanted to make a copy from our master, we would dub it off. And the interesting thing is, you had a certain amount of noise way down in the bottom there, very soft, when you made it. But when you make a copy, you pick up more noise and so now the noise is twice as loud. And then if you make a copy from the copy, then the noise is four times as loud. And if you do it again, it's eight times as loud. That's why you had to have a master tape, and you had to then make the copies right from that master. And usually they'd keep a master and then a submaster, and it was a real problem. How much noise there was on that recording was critical. So when I was making my amplifier, I didn't just need to make an amplifier that worked. I had to make an amplifier that had a very low signal-to-noise ratio. Now scientists have a kind of a fancy way of naming how good a particular amplifier is when it comes to noise. We talk about the level of sound in decibels. And that's named after Mr. Bell. Mm -hmm. Graham Bell, remember him? And so we talk about bells, but decibel is a tenth of a bell. And so uh, something really interesting about sound. When I was getting ready to put my, my volume controls for my, I was gonna hook them onto the dial so I could change how loud the different tracks were, there were two kinds of volume controls. Now, a volume control is a variable resistor. So how much resistance is there in a particular little module? And these had a knob, and you could turn them, and the resistance would start low, and then it would go up. All right, so you could set the volume you wanted. Well, there were two kinds. One was a linear volume control. It just went up from zero to 100, and then there was another one, which was logarithmetic. 
And logarithmetic is something you learn about in engineering, isn't it? In a logarithm, when you, if, if you have a, a ruler that's a log scale, like we used to do in slide rolls, you'd go from zero to one, and every time you go to the next uh, level, it would get smaller in size or bigger in size, and it'd go up as, as a logarithm, which uh, means the exponent if you guys are mathematicians. So what that really means is if you turn the knob just a little bit, the sound just goes up a little bit. But if you turn it twice that amount, it would go up 10 times that amount. And if you turn it that much again, it would go up 100 times that amount. So just turn it a little bit, make the volume go really, really crazy high. Whereas the other one, it would just always keep going up the same amount. Why? Why did they have a logarithmic scale and they had a linear scale. And it turns out that the right one to use was the logarithmic scale, the one that went up crazy. It started out a little bit and it got just insanely loud very, very quickly. And the reason that it's the right one is because almost everybody in the world that listens to sound uses their ears. <laughs> now, there's some... Uh, Alien species. Tell me. <laughs> I use my ears. Just wondering. But anyway, uh -huh. but think about that for a minute. Your ears are very sensitive to sound, but when a sound gets quite a bit louder, you can't hear it as loud. Your ear naturally has a sensitivity that's logarithmic. And because of that, the human ear can hear very soft sounds while it can still hear extremely loud sounds. So you can hear over this amazing range, which was really ingenious. That's phenomenal, actually. And so now that we've learned that, and by the way, I had to go learn that to find out which one I wanted, because I wasn't exactly experienced in this at the time, but I, uh, I, I was a college student, so I looked it up. And again, the internet was down <laughs> because it wasn't up yet. And so I, I had to do it the old-fashioned way, you know? Pick, shovel, in the library. <laughs> and you go and try. It's hard to find things that way. It really is. It is. We can learn and do so much, so much faster. It's just almost scary what we can do. They talk about AI, artificial intelligence, going to really speed everything up. And no, 51 does not have any intelligence. <laughs> so anyway. But as big as a deal of how much artificial intelligence is going to accelerate things, the internet was. We can learn so much more, so much faster, and we can even do things like Acellus because we have this amazing technology, and it really does make a difference. So I built my, my volume controls as logarithmic volume controls, but I did a lot of other things. All of the circuits inside my circuit board were balanced circuits all the way through, and I used all of the components of the very best quality so that I would have a very low amount of noise on these signals. When I got down to the point of needing to bias my transistors, 
I didn't mean buy transistors, I meant bias. And I think you all remember what biasing in is, maybe not. If you're going to use a transistor, you have to put the components, mainly resistors, around that transistor so that it's right in its, its linear range where it's going to be able to amplify the sound with perfect fidelity. What's fidelity? Fidelity is quality of music, for example, with high fidelity. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you had to know an awful lot about transistors, which I didn't. Did not. No, I did. And I, did. I I can see that this was a case. If I'd had the internet, I would just Googled it, <laughs> learned it, and done it. But it wasn't there. So I went and got a book. And the book was, and I read it for a few hours. And then I decided I, it's going to take too long to learn this. So shall I give up? No. This is hard. You're good at heart. How about a little sympathy? You're good at heart. Yeah. <laughs> or shall I make a new friend? <laughs> now, some of you remember that about this time, I had gotten a job as a radio announcer at the radio station in town. We had three. And my radio station was the one that was very unique because it had no listeners. <laughs> the second one had quite a few, and the first one had them all. They had these big double towers. We had one little tower. And during the day, we would transmit with 1,000 watts. That's like 10 100-watt light bulbs, that much power. They were transmitting with 10,000 watts all the time in their two big towers. What's more, at night, when the sun would, would set, we had to turn our transmitter down to 100 watts, equivalent to one 100-watt light bulb, and um, meant the signal didn't go as far, because at night, the signal goes farther. And actually, it turns out, it went the same place at night it did during the day, because during the day, it takes more power to transmit. Well, anyway, in the big station, the station that had the two towers. Remember, that's where I used to get my weather. <laughs> and I got to know the, the top DJ over there. And uh, I st when we got to be really good friends, when I says, you know, I'm going to tell you something that's just going to freak you out. And he said, what? I said, guess how we get our weather forecasts that we give on the radio. And he said, how? And I said, we listen to you guys. We just tune you and we got a little emergency broadcast radio and click it on, listen to your weather. We know what, what time you do the weather, so we listen to it. Ours is five minutes later. And we just read it. And I thought he would get a really good laugh. He didn't laugh. And I said, what's the matter? And he looked at me like, you know. And he said, we got ours from you. <laughs> if you wait a minute, wait a minute. Which does explain why one day I said, uh, partly cloudy today with a few showers and it's bright sun. Bright sun today and it was raining. You know, it's, it's good to look too. <laughs> but at any rate, this, this dear friend who I uh, happened to call Carl because that was his name. Uh, Carl uh, was 
a really good electrical engineer. And I said, you know, I'm doing a really interesting puzzle kind of a project. You want to come over and see it? And he did. And I said, look at these transistors. I said, you know, let's see. We need to bias this one. So I said, let's, here, let me, let's start calculating. And I got my paper. <laughs> and he looked at it and said, what are you doing? I'm just calculating the bias resistor. What? Yeah. Isn't this how you do it? No. <laughs> no, no, show me how you do it. <laughs> and you know what? That wonderful friend went through and calculated all my resistors. And it's really significant because when I got that board down, we measured the uh, signal-to-noise ratio. And for this will be more significant to some of you audio engineers, but there was 60 decibel separation. And for that old analog equipment, that was really a big deal. It was really good, which is amazing. A little homemade board was outperforming many of the commercial boards of the time. Today, it's a whole different deal, and I wonder if you can understand this next part. You'll have to really pay attention if you're going to get it, but it's a neat thing to understand. Back in that day, every time you make a copy of a song, the background interference noise gets worse. And then it gets worse, and it gets like third, fourth copy. It's almost unlistenable, which was really bad. And that was because this noise kept getting amplified in every copy. So you couldn't make very many copies. And if you got a copy and your friend wanted it, you made it one, they almost couldn't listen to it. Then came along digital recording. Remember, that was analog. Then came along digital. Analog means that on every pitch that's recorded, there is a strength by how loud that pitch is on the tape. In digital, everything is stored as ones and zeros. And so I guess that means if you turn on digital music, it just sounds like one, yeah. zero. <laughs> no, no, actually, what we do in digital recording is we listen to how loud a sound is and we give that loudness a number. If it's no sound at all, we call it zero. If you can barely hear it, we call it a one. If it's really loud, we call it 256. And that's assuming we're using 8-bit audio, which we actually use more than that. We actually break it in usually to 16 bits. So we're talking 64,000 levels that we keep track of. And we give a different number to every pitch, how loud it is. And we use the number to say what frequency it is. So we have digital data. Well, digital is kind of interesting. Did you know in the real world there's no such thing as digital? Every wire, every transistor, every part is really analog, which means it's just voltages. But when we have a signal in a digital system like a computer, if it's off, that means it's below a half a volt. We call that zero. And if it's over one and a half volts, then it's on. Now, I'm oversimplifying this for you engineers. You know, it could be there are different standards with different voltages, but there's a, 
a threshold voltage, which if you're over that, it's on, and if you're below that, it's off. And so instead of trying to amplify this amplitude as an analog signal, you're now sending a number. And what that means is, if you make a copy, the copy is perfect. It's as good as the original. And you make another copy, and another copy, and another copy, and another copy. And since you're just copying the numbers, it never gets worse. Any noise that's brought in is down below the threshold. As long as it's still zero, it's low enough to be zero, then the next one starts out perfect again. So it completely changed the world when we went to digital. That's why music is so perfect with these new technologies and getting better all the time, isn't it? Of course, then it comes to the speakers. The thing that really is usually the, the biggest weakness in a modern electronic sound system is the speaker because the amplifiers are, in comparison, almost perfect. Okay, almost perfect. So it's how good a speaker you have is going to really determine how well it sounds. Now, if you have a, a beautiful piece of music and you play it on a real poor speaker, you can hear the low frequencies, but maybe the speaker can't make the high ones. So it sounds kind of mellow and flat. You know, there's two popular kinds of radio stations today. There's an AM and an FM. Amplitude modulated, frequency modulated. It turns out, though, that the big difference between the two isn't the one's amplitude modulated. That means you change the strength of the signal to put your music onto the radio wave, whereas frequency, you change the frequency a little bit to put your music on the radio wave. It isn't the fact of how you modulate it. It's the fact of the AM frequencies are much lower than FM. FM's way, way up there in a very high frequency band. And so with AM, you can only transmit music from a range of about <clears throat> 100 hertz, which is about as low as I can sing. I think it even go a little lower than that, maybe 60 hertz, up to about 6,500 hertz. And the human ear can hear up to 22,000 hertz. So all those high frequencies get cut off by the AM radio. And if you listen, when you turn on an AM, st AM station, it sounds like the music's a little bit flat. You turn over to an FM station, now you've got the full fidelity. Well, same is true with speakers. Speakers have to be capable of doing the whole frequency range. A good speaker is going to be able to go down to 20 or 30 hertz. And you know, that's kind of like, you can almost see 20 hertz. That's 20 cycles a second. Now in this speaker, which is really clever, the high frequency tweeter is right here in the middle. And it's kind of directional, and it has a mid-range emitter around it. But for the low frequencies, it doesn't have another box under the table. It has these ears. Can you see this ear? There's an ear there and an ear there. And these are little discs that are the low frequency emitters. And they actually vibrate out the side and create a beautiful low frequency sound. It's pretty nifty, actually. I, I really like these speakers. 
In fact, they're the kind I have in my home. In fact, <laughs> used to have two in my home. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll oh, get right nothing there. back there. They're really heavy. But it's really clever. So these vibrate, and every time they vibrate, they make a sound. How fast they vibrate is the pitch of the sound. And on the low ends, you can actually see them vibrating. I have one piece of classical music where there's a timpani solo. You can just see them playing the timpani. It's really kind of fun, yeah. It's it's really kind of neat. So audio is a is a very fascinating field. In recording, um, I wanted to be able to excel. I wanted to do really good. So I worked on techniques of making the music that I recorded sound really good. A musician will come into a studio to record, and when they're done, they want to sound just the best they can. And a good recording engineer can make a big difference. So I studied, I watched, I went down to California and I watched because some of the best audio engineers in the world at the time were there and got a lot of tips and tricks of how you make a soundtrack sound really good. One of the things that I learned, you know, I, I played the French horn so I was a little bit musical but the, the thing that I learned was to hear critically the problems with a track. And so as people would record a track, like an instrument or a vocal, I would say, you know what, I think we ought to do another take that was, it went a little flat there right on that part and I could hear it. And I could also hear how to blend them together. And there's kind of an art in that. Um, one of my dreams, for my little studio was someday that maybe I would get to record somebody really special. Uh, I did record quite a few albums for people at the time, but most of my people were amateurs, and then I got to some advanced amateurs. <laughs> but then one day, uh, we had visitors coming to, to my local area that I thought would be really fun to record, and so I maneuvered. <laughs> you maneuvered just like that? I maneuvered uh -huh. and was able to make arrangements to get them to record with me. And this group I'd never met before, but uh, I'd heard of them. We played them on the radio. I liked their music, and so I just decided it would really be fun to see what it'd be like to record them. And you know, I now had what Bill Lear later would tell me is a goal. Mm. I had a goal, and I figured out, now how am I gonna do this? Well, we don't have enough time to go through the whole story of the details of how I did the goal this time, but I do want to introduce them a little bit to you. It was a group, a singing group, and uh, one of the vocalists was uh, uh, a lady named Marilyn McCoo. And um, she, she was pretty sensational. And for a brief period of time, we became very good friends. And I, I was absolutely amazed at how good they had become in the way they recorded their music. It's, it's amazing what you can do in just short time, and I only recorded them one time, and I learned so much, and it, it made me just love that industry. 
anybody that really has interest in music as a musician or a singer should pursue it. But anyone that would like to become a recording engineer, it's really, really important. When people left my studio, I really liked it when they said, this is the best sounding album we've ever made. And I'd like to show you Marilyn McCoo and Bill and some of the other people. Let, let's look at this little clip. They're real cute in his mouth. They're all cute. They're tall cute. Mm -hmm. So, the fifth dimension, so they fun. called themselves. That is so fun. And they did Up, Up, and Away mm -hmm. and, uh, and some other great songs. But um, it's, it's fun to do something you're passionate about. And so, if you want to have a fun life, and here's my formula. If you want to have a fun life, then be passionate about what you're doing. Does that make sense? Of course it does. And a lot of people kind of forget that part. You get caught up in... <laughs> and those, those people never, never achieve greatness. You have a what? I have a fun life. Do you? Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us about it? I think this would be the one episode we go way over time to hear about this. Oh, yeah, we can't go into all that. But you know, you really do. And uh, I like uh, watching Dr. Peget because what she does, she is passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I love being passionate about what I do. And I love being around people that are passionate about what they do. Passion is what makes what you're doing enjoyable, but it also is what makes you strive for and achieve excellence. In Acellus, we have to have people that are, are the best, the best, the best. Mm -hmm. We've been filming Acellus for how many years? Who, who knows? Close to 20. I think 18 years now, and we've come a long ways. But uh, Monday, for the very first time in those 18 years, we will begin filming a Cellus Lessons in a brand new filming studio. Is, is that right, Tobias? Where is he? Yeah. He's hiding. Yeah, he is. So the new studios are scheduled to go live next week. And they are, our old studios are amazing. I just, they're state of the art. The new studios, though, just, I think we may have the best video studio in the Midwest now. And it's gonna show in the quality of videos that we can produce because we do have the very best students <laughs> in the galaxy. There's no doubt about it. So be ready for really even better lessons because we're passionate about getting them for you. Study hard. See you next time.